Hello everybody, Bill Harper. I'm a man in search of my heart and you're on this journey with me in this three-part podcast of what it looks like to be in search of your heart and finding the heart. Remember, and keep this in mind throughout this whole series, that my life verse is Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for from it flows the wellsprings of life, or from it flows the course of your life, and it affects your life. It's guarded, care for it. God's saying, this matters to me. Your heart really matters to me, and your heart is good. I've talked about that before. I don't think it's desperately wicked, not after it's been changed. Now, I got the potential to stumble at any point and be angry and self-centered and all that, but I don't think my heart is desperately wicked anymore, not like it's been changed. John Eldridge wrote in one of his books, he says, the story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows you could be and fears it, that is, the enemy. And remember that in God's eyes, you are a brilliant, shimmering work of art, beautiful and healthy and shining and glorious and radiant. Don't forget that. So part of the story today is the battle for the heart that we're in this phase of the history of the earth and mankind where Jesus has already come and he's won the war because we know what the ending's going to look like, but he has handed the battle to us. And we need strong hearts and willing minds and healthy spirits to do this battle. And so often the battle is with the accuser, okay? The long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows you could be and fears it. The voice of the accuser. Now, remember in Scripture, it says there is no condemnation of those who were in Christ Jesus. But the accuser is always going for the condemnation. Look at you. You're evil. You're bad. You're a worthless piece of human debris. Okay? Remember, your heart is good, and it matters to God. These these are two really hard things to hold on to. John Eldridge writes, he's serious. Try it. Try to hold this up for even a day. Say, my heart is good, and your heart matters to God. Here, care for this and defend it you will be amazed at how much accusation you live under. For example, you have an argument, one of your children on the way to school, and as you drive off, you have this nagging sense of, man, you really blew that one. Oh, how many times have I blown it with my kids? And then if your heart agrees, yeah, I really did blow that, without taking the issue to Jesus, if you make that agreement, then the enemy will try to go for more. Right, he'll get in your head and he'll say, you're always blowing it with her. Another agreement is made. Yep, it's true. I'm a lousy parent. And now you see, you've gone from a simple argument with your child and you agree to something's not true that you are a lousy parent. You see how that works? Okay. These agreements that we make with the enemy, that we believe things that are not true about our spirit, about our radiance, about our good heart, that you're such a lousy parent and you keep that up and your whole day is wrecked in about five minutes. And the enemy will jump into your head and into your heart and take any small victory and then leverage it from you did a bad thing, you did a bad thing to you are bad. Guilt, contrition is that you did something bad. And that's good because you can make amends for it. You can reverse it. You correct it. 
But we always go to shame that say, I am bad. And we do it so unconsciously and we do it so regularly. Just take a look at that. Remember, the accuser, the voice of the accuser wants you to form agreements with him. One of the agreements that I formed early in my youth was that I'm all alone. My life is all up to me. From the abandon of my mother who killed herself by her abuse of substances, then the agreements, how I'm ugly and nobody will want me, and I was a fat, chubby little kid, and I couldn't do sports and all that. So those agreements laid in that you don't have what it takes, that I'm a loser, that I'm fat, nobody will ever want me, nobody will. That's how this works. So the voice of the accuser is something we really have to guard our hearts against. Letting the lies become true to us. Listening to the voice of God and silencing the voice of the accuser. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember, the story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows who you could be and fears it. The enemy knows who you could be. God sees you as a shining, glimmering, shimmering, beautiful work of art. You know, if Jesus said that the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, then why don't we actually live and think and perceive that the enemy is here amongst us stealing and killing and destroying. Remember that verse ends with, but I have come to bring life and bring it abundantly. But Jesus said the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, Don't let our hearts go to that. Don't let our hearts go to the untruth. Come back to scripture. Come back to the things you know are true. Keep your eyes and heart above the line, and above the line are all the truths of the gospel, the beautiful place called heaven where you have a place in heaven. If you don't know this, then you need to know Jesus. Find a place, pray out to God that he will reveal himself to you, that he will be shown to be the true spirit of God that he is, the triune spirit of God who came and died for you, and has sent his son down to become human form to become one of us, to walk with us and live with us and love and then bleed and die for us, to give us the human touch that he was fully human and fully God. If you don't know the story of the gospel, that's another sermon. Go there. Find him. So here we are in this act three of the story of humanity called the battle of the heart, where we're trying to do the best that we can to keep our hearts and minds up and to keep our spirits clear and not be discouraged or fearful or angry. And oh my, in this season of pandemic, isn't it a tough time to be weighted down? My heart has been heavy with so many things and it is truly an effort to be able to nourish myself with the positive things to lift my heart into the heavens and reaffirm the things that I know are true and not to be fearful about where this country is going and what's going to happen and will we ever get to see our families again? Will anything ever be returned to normal? The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. This whole thing 
is part of stealing and killing and destroying. I see a great spiritual significance in all of this, a, a battle in the heavenlies, not just in this world with the COVID. <sighs> we become drained and exhausted with our hearts in lockdown and our hearts in pain because we're not connecting with people. I realize that, and so I make an effort to connect and pick up the phone and be with brothers and even get on Zoom how I can do that, to guard my heart, to nourish my heart. John Eldridge, I love his prophetic experience, and he says, the world has always been at war, and the prize has always been the human heart. Hmm, wow. So, What can we do about this? Well, let's talk about our needs that we need to nourish our heart with. In general, men have a need to be significant. They often ask their question is, do I have what it takes? But what we do is we go to all our gifts and all our talents and all our labels and all our successes, and we kind of build a place that we hide behind to be significant and worthy. So people see the good parts of us that are presentable. That's what we do to be significant, to see that we're strong, that we have what it takes. That's the man's question that he goes for. Women are actually have a bigger need more than to be significant. They are very concerned with security, such as, will a man fight for me? Will a man want me? Will a man defend me? Will a man find me captivating? Hence the title of the book, Captivating, which I recommend highly. You see, that's right out of Genesis, right after the fall. God said, where your desire will be for your man. So a woman's generally, her needs focus around security and being protected and being loved and being wanted, where a man's needs are more about being significant and being strong and being able to defend those he loves. Do I have what it takes? The woman's version of needs are more like, will someone fight for me? Will someone want me? Will someone find me to be captivating? So these are our basic needs. Understand what you're looking for. And what happens is we often go to the world and try to find that. Me, my example, flight suit and silver wings, you've heard that a million times. Boy, that was one awesome validation tool. Take a woman who, they, they want to look good. Being looking attractive is nothing bad with that. But so many of them go to where their looks are everything they've got. Their attractiveness is external and they don't really have any connection with a loving kind. I'm not, I'm not saying everybody's like this, but it could happen that it's just external looks. And so empty, there's a shallowness to the heart. Okay, would be much like my shallowness to my spirit with my flight suit and silver wings. Think about how we go to those sorts of things to avoid being known and really known because we put these false selves up that we offer to the world. Break those down and let people in. Let your heart be real. See what's really going on in there. This is how we find our hearts is recognize the falseness that we put up in front of us to give the world a presentable image of who we are. Men and women are a little different with that. Been going to a retreat with the Wellspring group, which is so very much like the John Eldridge's boot camp. And we talk about being aware of the state of my heart. What is my heart about and why am I troubled? 
And as you unpack the levels of your heart, you have some desires in there. The deep desires of your heart are for health and for significance, to love and be loved. That covers the man and the woman right there, for significance and to love and be loved, to be valued, to be connected in a an emotional, relational way with others to have a significant role in offering in this world, to be health, to be at peace, which I was really rattled when I had my back injury because my health was so rattled. So those are the deep desires. But we can take those desires and distort them. For example, you want to be healthy, but you go to such an extreme to do that that you're really psychotically whatever, that can take a distortion of these desires. And perhaps a surface desire, you want to be significant, but you really want that leadership or managerial position at work. You want to get that position because it's going to make you look good. You know, you want the more money. You want the status and significance of any of those things. So we can take any of these good desires and distort them. Understand how that works in the heart. Take an examination of it. Remember, when it comes to your heart, you heard my life verse. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life, or from it flows the wellspring of life. That's Proverbs 4.23. God is saying this is important. Care for it. Care for your heart. When do we actually care for my heart? You got it on your planner, on your iPhone, you know, between seeing the uh, doctor in the morning and... uh, Uh, having a, a conversation with your boss in the afternoon, you plan on caring for your heart. When do we care for our heart? And how do we do that? Uh, it needs to be an essential practice. It's kind of like putting on your oxygen mask, and especially in this world today. If you fly on an airliner, it says, if there is a loss of cabin pressure, the oxygen mask will drop down. Pull it to the full extent of the tubing, which will release the flow of oxygen, and put it on your own face before you help somebody else. So caring for the heart can actually be like putting your own oxygen mask on in this rarefied or toxic atmosphere that we're living in the world today. Essential habits or practices, loving yourself. How do we love ourselves well? I know I've got to get some good exercise and learning to eat right and abstain from things and fasting is good for me. I know I've got to get outside every day as much as I can. I've noticed that when the when it's cloudy and rainy for days, I get a little glum. There's all kinds of practices that we need to know and, and care for our hearts. How often do we do that? It is valuable. Take care of it, God says. So let's pay attention to the things we do to nourish ourselves. I was talking to a friend the other day, and he seems like, To do anything for himself is wrong. It's selfish because we've always been taught that being selfish is terrible if you were raised in the religious, you know, do this, don't do that stuff at church. Anything you do for yourself is wrong because it's selfish. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You need to love. God said, love yourself as you love your neighbor. Make sure you care for your own heart, whatever that looks like. And giving yourself a treat and giving yourself something special is entirely okay and appropriate. You know what the healthy things are. You know what to stay away from that's unhealthy. Care for our hearts. Be careful with this, God said. This is important to me. 
How does the truth of the word get past our head into our heart? I think that's important in searching for the heart. How do we shorten that distance between the head or the heart? I have found, and this is true for me, that worship is really a key. When I worship, here's the way it first started. When I was in Celebrate Recovery, I would go out and I, when I would worship, I'd go right up to the front row and get right in front of the big speakers so I could sing with all my heart because my voice is terrible. You don't want to be next to me. I can't carry a tune. But now I could really sing really loud and you couldn't hear me because of the drowning out by this giant concert style speaker right in front of me. I think I might have lost some of my hearing out of that. Well, it's continued for me to go to the front row, and I don't sing as loud as to be annoying. I gesticulate. I use my hands to say various things when I'm worshiping. Whenever the song talks about eternal or forever or unending, I make the Google sign. Whenever we talk about the names of God, I throw up an L with my left hand. It stands for love or life or lion or lamb. Those are the four names of God to me. Okay, and I do this. (laughs) Do you know it? After church the other day, a total stranger pulled me aside and she said to me, she said, I want to thank you for how you have inspired me by you just simply worshiping freely in the front row. And I needed to hear that that day. God knew that I had been beat up, that I was troubled, and I wasn't even in an energetic place of worship that morning. It was somewhat diminished. But this lady who came up to me as a total stranger just made my day. So somehow, God will come around to nourish our hearts. Be open to that. Be free. And for gosh sakes, don't worry about what anybody else thinks about you. You just care about what God thinks about you. And if you get that right, then then everything else is going to fall into place. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't forget yourself. In this season, by the way, of COVID and so much has happened to us, I think we have to grieve our losses. We have to name them, write them down, bring Jesus into them. Whether it be your loss of graduation or your loss of your parent or whatever the losses have been, grieving helps, grieving hurts. Write them down, bring Jesus in there, and then give them back to him. Take a look at where we find our validation sources and remember that the one we want to find is what he thinks of us. Again, I don't believe in coincidences. I see every little gift to me as gratitude, like the favorable turn of a streetlight. I often say when I'm troubled, I say the daily prayer or the becoming a king prayer also available on wildatheart.com, those two prayers. I never believed in liturgical prayer before. After I read the words and ponder them and think about the principles of Scripture and all the weapons, defensive and offensive of the gospel are contained, all the principles that are profound are contained in that daily prayer by John Eldridge. And it's just a rehash of all the tools, of all the structure of the gospel that we have to get through this life. Take it three times a day if you're troubled, the daily prayer by John Eldridge. So these are some of the journeys I've been searching for my heart. What's it look like? How did I first get in touch with my heart? What are the messages that the enemy has given us? What is the message that God has given us about a good heart? What does the battle of the heart look like? And how do we care for our heart? 
It's really a deep subject, and I'm glad to have come to this with you about what does it look like to be a man in search of my heart. This is Bill Harper, and that is the name of my podcast as well. So I leave you again with the words from the song Changed by Sanctus Real. Although I cannot see, I know you promised me you're making a new heart where the old one used to be. I'm going to be changed. I'm going to be changed. Thanks again. This is Bill Harper. I'm in search of my heart, and I hope I've given you a bit of a roadmap on how to find yours. Have a wonderful day. I thought it'd be different. Was hoping by now I would be closer. Have it all figured out. Been counting the reasons and feeling the weight of all of my failures and every mistake. And though I cannot see, I know you promised me. Making a new heart Where the old one used to be I'm gonna be changed A little